a calm face, a perfect plan. The perpetrator broke into the facility during the night and began to attack residents with knives, killing 19 people and injuring 26 others mercilessly. The Sagamihara massacre was a horrifying mass murder that occurred in 2016. In Sagamihara, a city in Kanagawa Prefecture that shook Japan to the bone. Welcome back to our channel. Today, we will dive into the case of Satoshi Uematsu, the cold-blooded killer who was excused as mentally ill when he caused the massacre. Is he really mentally ill? Before causing the massacre, he had a clear, careful plan. He even wrote letters to politicians outlining his plans and even sent a letter to the Speaker of the Lower House of Japan. Take a deep breath and prepare to enter the darkness that consumed Satoshi Uematsu, a man whose name will forever be associated with one of Japan's most horrific crimes. You've probably already been told this, but you should be prepared to hear it once more. Japan is a nation unlike any other. Japan has about 128 million citizens, making it the 10th most populous country in the world despite being smaller than the state of California. It is simple to become lost in all of Japan's limitless delights since the country possesses magnificent beauty, a fascinating economy, and a culture that is just as abundant and varied as its cuisine. But when people talk about Japan, they frequently leave out the fact that the nation also has some less positive qualities. After all of that, before we get started on today's case, we need to go over some of the background information. It is common knowledge that people from Japan are very polite, calm, and respectful toward one another. Even while these are admirable qualities to possess, the explanation behind them is not quite as kind. There is no question that Japan is a nation that values conformity. The temptation to conform to the standards and expectations of society is very severe in this country, and for Japanese families, it may be a source of tremendous embarrassment if their son or daughter is considered to be anything other than the typical hard-working salary man. Despite this, there are a lot of positive outcomes that result from adopting such a lifestyle. Everyone in Japan strives to fit in, which contributes to the country's relatively low crime rate. Additionally, the pressure that workers face in the job helps raise overall standards. However, at what expense? One of these is our mental well-being. Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the whole world, and as a result, the country suffers an annual loss of almost 12 persons per 100,000 population. And tragically, those aren't the only people who have died as a result of this. The people who suffer the most from the pressure to fit into society are frequently those who do not have the opportunity to fit in. Discrimination against persons who have impairments is pervasive in every region of the country. There are around 10 million people in Japan who suffer from a physical disability, an intellectual disability, or a mental disability. The number of persons with dementia brings that total up to 16 million. Nevertheless, despite these statistics, there is a striking lack of support for these individuals. If you go around the streets of Japan, you won't be able to find many facilities that are designed to provide assistance to those who use wheelchairs. 
There is a 27% increased likelihood that a cab will not pick you up if you have a disability. And if others know you have a handicap, the prejudice and stigma can be so powerful that your family may even try to hide you or reject you. This is especially true if the impairment is visible. This whole situation began a long time before World War II, but ever since the end of the war in 1945, crippled people of society in Japan have been forced to suffer in quiet and humiliation. Since 1945, over 25,000 handicapped Japanese persons have been subjected to sterilization procedures in order to prevent them from having children. Of those 25,000, over 16,000 have been subjected to the procedure without their will. The government's goal was to purify Japan's population, and despite the fact that this law was widely seen as being inhumane and oppressive, it was not repealed until the year 1996. In a recent scandal that occurred in 2018, the government of Japan came under fire when they lied about the disability status of 3,700 of their employees in order to fulfill a quota. It should not come as a shock to learn that Japan's bigotry is so pervasive since prejudices institutionalize at the highest levels of government. The location of today's case is Sagamihara, which is a city that is around 40 kilometers distant from the core business sector of Tokyo. The Imperial Japanese Army in the 1930s made great use of the city as a training place for extended training. Although the city is today better recognized as an area for manufacturing and industrial output, it is now the third most populous city in the Kanagawa Prefecture with an estimated population of 721,000 people, placing it third after Yokohama and Kawasaki in terms of popularity. Satoshi Uematsu was the name of a local inhabitant who lived there, and he was known by this name. On the 20th of January in the year 1990, Satoshi Uematsu was born in the vicinity of Tokyo. Both of his parents were artists. His mother was a cartoonist and his father taught painting at an elementary school. The Uematsu family uprooted their lives and relocated from Tokyo to Sagamihara City when their youngest child was just one year old. There, they found a place to call their own permanently. After finishing his primary schooling at a local public institution, Satoshi continued his education at a nearby junior high school. At his school, he had a reputation for being an entertainer, a charming person, and someone who made other people laugh out loud. He used to have good grades, and the sport of basketball was very important to him. He did not have any problems. However, it was at this time in high school when Satoshi's actions began to raise some questions about his character for the first time. Along with his companions, he was apprehended stealing on many occasions and it was discovered that he had purposefully damaged property while under the influence of alcohol. However, the most troubling run-in he's had with the police occurred in 2007, when he reportedly knocked over and beat a handicapped person at his high school because they were in his way. Satoshi completed his study at a private institution despite the fact that he had engaged in dubious behavior. 
He enrolled in the Faculty of Education with the intention of majoring in primary education with the Ingola following in his father's footsteps and teaching elementary school. However, at this time, his parents abruptly relocated from the Uematsu mansion to a condominium in Tokyo, leaving the house for Satoshi to take care of on his own. And despite the fact that their reason for moving was never made apparent, it is widely believed that numerous fights took place between Satoshi and his parents, which ultimately resulted in a schism among the family. It was around Satoshi's extensive tattoo, which spanned the majority of his back, that all of this was said to have come to a head. Tattoos are still another practice that Japanese culture frowns upon. For those of you who are unaware of this fact, I will explain. Since the year 720, when they were used to brand offenders who had committed significant crimes, tattoos have been associated with a negative social connotation. In addition, throughout the Edo era, which began in the 1600s and lasted until the late 1800s, tattoos were popular among criminals and members of gangs like the Yakuza. They were considered to be emblems of bravery and loyalty due to the agony and permanency associated with them. And despite the fact that attitudes about tattoos have become a little bit more lenient in modern times, people still consider them to be unclean, insulting to family, and embarrassing. 2012 was the year that finally saw Satoshi earn his degree from the university. And despite the fact that he significantly departed from his intentions by attempting to become a full-time tattoo artist and illegally produce cannabis, he was unsuccessful in both endeavors. In the middle of the year 2012, he finished the formal credentials necessary for social welfare. These qualifications were designed to prepare him for job in the psychiatric industry. Following his passing, in the month of December, he secured a position as a part-time employee at the Sakuyama Yurian Care Facility, which is also referred to as the Sakuilili Garden in the English language. It is said that he convinced the interviewers to hire him by expressing his opinion that he finds persons with impairments to be endearing. Satoshi was successful in his work, and as a result, he was given the opportunity to work at Sakuya Garden on a full-time basis in April 2013. He soon became well-known as an intelligent and driven worker who had lots of possibilities for advancement. The passing of time, however, brought to a transformation in Satoshi's personality in 2014 and then again in 2015. On many instances, Satoshi was seen beating other people who lived in the institution. As a consequence of this, he was questioned by the employees on several occasions, and the level of monitoring around Satoshi in the workplace increased throughout the course of 2015. However, on February 6, 2016, following yet another confrontation, he resigned from his position as an employee at Sakuya Garden so leaving himself without a job. And despite the fact that Sakuilili Garden was relieved to see Satoshi go, they knew that their next encounter with him would not be their last. On February 15, 2016, just two weeks after Satoshi handed in his resignation, we will be relocating to Tokyo. The date is the 15th of February. In point of fact, 
Satoshi went all the way to Tokyo in order to personally deliver a letter he had written to the political figure Taramori Yoshima, who was serving as the Speaker of the House of Representatives in Japan at the time. In addition, this letter served as the primary early cautionary indicator regarding Satoshi's actions. The letter that Satoshi had written was a plea that was written down advocating for the legality of terminating the lives of individuals who suffered from many infirmities. In reality, he appealed for crippled patients to be put to death for the sake of the world and warned that he intended to carry out a homicidal attack in order to stimulate the global economy and avert World War III. After writing his name at the bottom of the letter, he went on to outline an offer to target two institutions housing the disabled and he went on to beg for particular conditions in exchange for performing his crime. After signing his name, the letter proceeded to detail an offer to target two facilities housing the disabled. Satoshi had really proposed to carry out the murders personally. He also mentioned that the employees would be tied up to prevent them from interfering, but that they would not be mistreated in any way. After the quick act, he would surrender himself to the authorities immediately afterward. In the final paragraph of the letter, he said, Now is the time to carry out a revolution and make a tough decision for the sake of all mankind. After that, he added his signature on the bottom of it. The letter was turned over to the Tokyo police, who subsequently contacted their counterparts in Sagamihara. And only four days after that, on February 19, Satoshi was taken into custody, questioned, and then forced to check himself into a mental health facility against his will. The way that Satoshi saw handicapped people, as well as the crimes he sought to conduct in order to ostensibly improve the state of the global economy, were nothing short of deeply unethical. The fact that he was admitted to a mental health facility, on the other hand, opened the door to the prospect of entangling and reconstructing his point of view. The Sokwilili Garden facility was shocked to learn that a former employee had such beliefs, and they expressed their worry to management. As a result, soon after that, 16 cameras were mounted all across the property in an effort to increase security. On the other hand, these cameras would not be deployed for the purpose of surveillance, but rather for normal monitoring. And Satoshi's time in treatment and rehabilitation would be quite brief as well since just two weeks later, on March 2nd, he was discharged by physicians on the grounds that he did not pose a risk to society. And to make that assumption would be a significant error. Satoshi boarded a bus on the 25th of July, 2016 and made his way to Tokyo in order to get his automobile from the family home. After that, he went to a hardware shop and bought a hammer along with a binding band. After that, he went and gathered a variety of knives. After that, Satoshi went to Shinjuku, where he hired a hotel and colored his hair gold before meeting a woman for supper at a barbecue restaurant. When they got there, he informed her about his letter and his intentions, but unfortunately, she didn't believe he was being serious and chose to disregard what he said. Move forward in time by four hours, and it is now the morning of July 26, 2016.
A black Honda was captured on camera coming up to a back road at about 1.37 in the morning by the monitored cameras of the Tsukwilili Garden Care Facility. Satoshi Uematsu was the owner of the vehicle and could be seen climbing out of the driver's seat not long after parking his vehicle. He went to the trunk of the car and then pulled out a duffel bag containing a number of blades. After that, he went up to a window that was situated in the southeast wing of the facility, and he obtained access to the building by shattering it with a hammer. Since Satoshi had been a member in the past, he was well familiar with the territory. Because he entered through the back door, no one saw or heard him shatter the window, and because he entered through the rear door, he was almost totally unseen. At two minutes and ten seconds after midnight, he entered the building, located the staff person who was nearest to him, and bound and gagged them. He stole their keys, and after that, he had complete freedom within the institution to go wherever he pleased. He was allowed to do anything he wanted. And in case the information included in his earlier letter wasn't clear enough, there was just one purpose for which he was present here. Satoshi started in the southeast part of the institution and worked his way all the way to the west end, going from room to room and sadly used his knives to murder each and every disabled person he could discover along the way. After noticing that many of them were sound sleeping in their own beds, he proceeded to the second level in order to satisfy his curiosity. Because he had worked at the institution for more than three years, it was possible that he was familiar with the specific procedure that security personnel would follow on an average night. As a result, he was successful in executing a plan to sidestep both them and the security office. After covering more than half of the footprint of the facility, Satoshi left the area by exiting by a side door that was positioned near to the main entrance of the facility. He then went around the main building and returned to his vehicle. Only 14 minutes after he broke in, surveillance cameras captured him on tape once more at 2.50 in the morning. After that, he got back into his vehicle, and as he was driving, he tweeted a picture of himself on Twitter with the caption, May there be world peace, beautiful Japan. And with that twisted vision of his finally realized, Satoshi ran away from the location. Ten minutes after the evacuees had left, armed law enforcement officers assaulted the Tsukwilili Garden. A worker had really seen a man with blonde hair carrying a blade while going about the grounds of the plant, and when they came there, they would find a terrifying scenario there. The man had been seen by another worker. The facility was provided with a total of 29 ambulances and all of them were going to be required immediately. Even if he knew he was going to be caught, Satoshi wouldn't try to prevent it. In point of fact, less than two hours after making the post on Twitter, he reported himself to the police along with the bag he was carrying, which contained a number of knives. Additionally, the cops would discover his vehicle the next morning. Blood was discovered on the steering wheel and towels and plastic bags that had been stained with blood were discovered on the passenger seat. There was a slice of bread that had been eaten partially and banknotes for 1,000 yen strewn over the place. After being questioned by the authorities about the letter, he said, yes, 
that was me, and then requested a new identity as well as plastic surgery. This strategy did not succeed, and Satoshi Uematsu was taken into custody without further ado on the spot after having served only two years of his sentence. When they returned to Tsukuilili Garden, they found that the destruction had only just begun. The families of the patients hurried to find out whether or not their loved ones had passed away, and even those families who discovered that their loved ones were still alive had to wait for days to learn the extent of their relatives' injuries or whether or not their relatives would survive. There were a total of 19 patients who were tragically died at the institution, with the majority of their corpses finding in their beds. In addition, there were 26 patients who were found to be injured, with 13 of them suffering severe injuries. At the time of the incident, it was believed that Satoshi Uematsu was responsible for Japan's deadliest post-war mass slaughter, which is now known as the Sagamihara Massacre. And then the next day, Satoshi was moved from the police station where he had turned himself into the high security office of the prosecutor's office. However, when he was being brought away, he grinned at all of the cameras that were around him, and the police tried to hide his identity by using a vehicle with a tinted window. The authorities would also conduct a search warrant at his family home, which was situated within a short distance of the nursing home. There, they discovered notebooks and electronic equipment, and shortly after, speculations of Satoshi's letter to the government began to circulate. However, neighbors did express astonishment when they found out that it appeared like Satoshi was responsible for the killings. Although some of them did agree that he had changed over the years, no one ever anticipated him to cause any damage. He was characterized by them as being affable, extroverted, and a decent man. No one ever expected him to cause any harm. At the same instant, a second inquiry would commence, one that would look at the activities and alertness of law enforcement officers and psychologists who were aware of Satoshi's ideas. And inquiries began to be raised concerning the 16 cameras that had been put in the facility only a few short weeks before the assault. Although they were active in filming, as a result the whole event was captured. No one was hired to operate or monitor these cameras even though they were present. The institution and the authorities failed to respond appropriately to the warning indicators. To add insult to injury, the briefings for the victims' families did not begin until a full week and a half after the incident. During this time, the families were kept in the dark regarding the victims' physical and mental condition and the deaths of 19 inhabitants at Tsukuilili Garden exploded onto the international news cycle almost immediately. This came as a total surprise to many people in the nation, which has a reputation for having relatively low levels of overall crime. One thing, however, that was a significant point of disagreement between Japan and other nations was the fact that several countries declared this to be a hate crime. Japan did not. On the other hand, Japan, which has a negative attitude toward individuals with disabilities, failed to report it in that manner. In point of fact, not a single public figure in Japanese history has ever attempted to publicly employ these terms. In addition, 
The victims of the Sagamihara massacre were never formally identified, which is another source of regret over this case. It was not out of respect for their loved ones that this was done. Rather, the vast majority of families just did not want the general public to be aware that their family members or friends had impairments. In addition, this action, which on the surface might be perceived as a manner of safeguarding their privacy, could also be considered as a way of concealing the existence of persons who have impairments from the general public. The prosecution of Satoshi is continuing forward at this time. Seven months after the attack, on the 20th of February in 2017, an official determination was made that Satoshi has the mental capacity to face the charges against him. This cleared the stage for more serious charges in the event that Satoshi was found guilty, and given that Japan accepts the death sentence for extreme instances, feelings over Satoshi's future were running high. According to his defense team, they intended to establish that he was mentally incompetent at the time of the crime owing to the impact that marijuana had on him. And on the 8th of January in the year 2020, nearly three years after that, Satoshi would be brought to trial. He entered a plea of not guilty to the charges of stabbing. Despite this, there were nearly 2,000 people waiting in line outside the courthouse to attempt to acquire one of the 26 seats available in the public gallery, while journalists aired from outside the building. During the course of the trial, Satoshi never once expressed any regret or sorrow for the harm he had caused to the victims. However, he did confess to the families that he was sorry, and then he proceeded to bite off a piece of his own finger as a symbolic gesture of his contrition. However, the act was meaningless since he maintained his stance that there is no purpose in the lives of disabled people and continued to declare that there is no use in disabled people existing. The decision was ultimately reached after an excruciatingly drawn-out legal process. In a formal proceeding, Satoshi was found guilty of 19 charges of murder, 24 counts of attempted murder, 2 counts of illegal detention causing harm, 3 counts of illegal confinement, 1 count of unlawful entrance, and 1 count of breaking the swords and guns control statute. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. After that, the prosecution made the decision to seek the death penalty for the defendant, describing his rampage as barbaric and declaring that there was no place for clemency. And on the 16th of March in the year 2020, the Yokohama District Court formally handed Satoshi the punishment that he had been waiting for. The death penalty. To the best of our knowledge, Satoshi Uematsu is still alive and serving time in jail as of the day that this video was filmed. He is currently occupying a cell with a high level of security while he waits to be executed. However, no one can say for certain when that day will arrive because the impacts of the epidemic have repeatedly put the procedure behind schedule. In addition, I would want to take this opportunity to remember the 19 people who were killed in Sakurai Garden, but I am unable to do so due to the fact that they have neither a name nor a face. If you refuse to acknowledge their names and faces, you are effectively refusing to acknowledge their humanity. Take this as my personal opinion. 
in the wake of other heartbreaking events that have occurred all across the world. We commemorate the victims, thinking about who they were and what made them unique. And as a result of this, remembering them leaves behind a heavy emptiness in a location that was formerly occupied by a murderer. When the identities of the victims are ignored or downplayed, it devalues the victims and, as a result, reduces the amount of attention that is paid to the case. There were no fundraising initiatives, no news pieces, no hashtags on Twitter, and no campaigns on GoFundMe. In addition, the story itself faded away much too soon. And although it is important to follow the wishes of the family members of the victims, it is also important not to disregard the stigma and shame that is associated with handicapped persons in Japan. It's unfortunate that bias played such a significant role in this case, but it did. Because of Satoshi's crime, Japan and the rest of the globe have gained a greater awareness of their attitudes about persons who have impairments. But it remains to be seen if Japan will learn from both this and the troubling things that have happened in its history. Opportunities to normalize and improve attitudes of people with disabilities will be plentiful later this year as a result of the Paralympic Games, which are presently scheduled to be held in Tokyo later this year. So, let's watch where they go from here and see what happens. Back in Sagamihara, victims' relatives and friends continue to hold memorial services for their loved ones. They do so on the first day of every month in front of the structure, which was torn down and rebuilt in 2016. And despite the fact that the names and faces of some of the victims have eventually been made public, the majority of the victims' identities continue to be concealed. I sincerely hope that one day, the stigma and prejudice against individuals with disabilities will be completely eliminated. Perhaps the situation involving Satoshi Uematsu can serve as an important lesson along the way. Thank you for your attention to the case today. If you found it interesting or learned something new, please show your support by giving us a thumbs up and subscribing if you haven't already. Before we sign off, Let's remember to always look out for each other. Goodbye.